We've already said it a number of times. It's been wonderful this morning, hasn't it, to hear about Ollie and Hazel and Marie's stories this morning. And one of the things that I'm always amazed by when it comes to these baptism services is the different ways that people come to know Jesus. Uh, For some, it's a New Year's resolution. Uh, For others, it's being challenged over walking the dog. Uh, We've all got different experiences as we come to hear about Jesus. We're all different people with uh, different lives. Uh, But it's actually something that Ollie's written in this little baptism book that I hope you've all got uh, a copy of. Something that Ollie's written in here that struck me as common to a lot of us. Uh, Ollie wrote in there that at one point in his life he was just too busy living his life to worry about God. Just too busy living his life to worry about God. And And I think that's something that a lot of us in this room can relate to whether we're Christians or not. Western culture is a busy culture. We're busy with work, with family, with sport, with leisure, with socialising, with the internet, with social media. We are busy people. So busy that we tend not to worry all that much about God. Uh, Strangely, Christmas is a time when we can experience this the most, isn't it? As we work towards the day when we celebrate God himself coming to earth, we find it remarkably easy to have very little time for him. We can be so busy buying presents and preparing food and visiting distant relatives that we forget all about the Son of God come to earth. That's why we've been looking at Matthew chapter 25 over the last few weeks. Because in Matthew 25, Jesus wants to wake us up. He wants to wake us up to the reality of his return. That's been the big message of the last few weeks. Jesus will return. He'll come back. And so we need to be ready for that day. And here in our passage this morning, where Jesus kind of draws together all that he's been saying. Not so much with a parable, a story this time, more just a description of what will happen on that final day. And so we're going to see three things as we go through this passage this morning. And the first is that the king will return. Just look down at verse 31 with me, chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. There are different names and titles given to Jesus throughout the Gospels. Christ, Messiah, Lord. But one description Jesus often uses of himself is the Son of Man. It's a title that comes straight from the Old Testament, uh, specifically from a vision recorded in the book of Daniel. Uh, in the vision, Daniel sees uh, these mighty empires of the world rise and then fall, one after the other. All of them appear so strong, so powerful at first, but eventually they crumble and fall. But then listen to what Daniel sees next. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. 
He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Unlike all the other kingdoms of this world, Daniel sees an everlasting kingdom. The kingdom of God. And this kingdom is given to who? To the Son of Man. He is the one who will rule with all authority, glory, and power. All nations, all people will bow before this mighty king, and he will reign forever. It's Christmas time, isn't it? We're getting closer, and that means that our minds are full of baby Jesus, meek and mild, lying in a manger. And that's a wonderful truth that we celebrate at this time of year. God the Son, the creator of the universe, humbling himself and entering our world as a baby. It's a wonderful truth, but it's not the end of the story. Because Jesus will come again. And the picture that he wants us to have in our minds as we think about that day is not a baby in a manger, but the Son of Man, the King of glory. I don't know if you saw, but a few years ago, Stephen Fry's interview on the Meaning of Life TV series went viral on the internet. Millions of people watched as Fry uh, spoke about what he would say if he one day found himself standing before God. Fry confidently told the interviewer that he would give this stupid God a piece of his mind. That God deserved no respect whatsoever and that he would have nothing to do with him. And whilst we might not be quite as aggressive, many people today think like Fry. Many people think that we will somehow stand against God, that we'll put him in his place or just dismiss him as nothing. But do you see, Jesus says, no. No, no, when the Son of Man comes, he will come in all his glory and he will sit on his glorious throne. You see, the king will return and there will be no doubt who rules this world. Jesus will return as king and not just king of a few, but king of every single person who's ever lived. Verse 32, he will gather all nations before him. Every person who's ever lived will be gathered before this mighty King Jesus. And they'll be gathered for judgment. Which is the second thing that we see. The king will judge. Look at verse 32. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, if you've been with us as we've gone through Matthew 25, you'll have seen this theme of a, of a division running through the parables. And we see the same again here. Except this time it's not wise and foolish, it's not faithful and unfaithful, it's sheep and goats. In Old Testament Israel, the sheep and the goats, they would have been kept together for most of the time. 
But every now and then, the shepherd would need to separate them out, divide them. And that's what Jesus is saying will happen on the last day. There will be a, a separation, a division. The king will judge and he will divide humanity into two groups. Those he declares to be sheep will be placed on his right, the place of honour and favour. Those he declares to be goats will be placed on his left, the place of shame and disgrace. The sheep will then receive blessing, verse 34. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of this world. The people on the right, the the place of honour, will receive blessing. The blessing of sharing in the rule and reign of the king in his everlasting kingdom. Verse 46, those people will receive the blessing of eternal life with their king. Uh, We've seen over the last few weeks how that glorious future is described, haven't we? Uh, Back in verse 10, it was described as this great wedding feast, the banquet of the bridegroom. Uh, Last week, we saw in verse 21 that it's described as sharing in the joy of our master. And now we see it's the inheritance of an everlasting kingdom. That is the glorious future that awaits some. But once again, we see that it's not the future for everyone. Not all will receive the king's blessing. Some will receive his curse. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Those the king declares to be goats will receive his curse, his punishment. And again, in Matthew 25, we've seen different descriptions of hell. We've seen the the horrible reality of being shut out from the presence of God, shut out from the wedding feast. Or the place where there's no joy, no happiness, only darkness and weeping. And here Jesus speaks of an eternal fire. These are, these are images, they're not literal descriptions, but they are images of an awful reality. An awful and eternal reality of being separated from God forever. Verse 46 again, just as some will receive eternal life, others will receive eternal punishment. And so you see, there'll be a division on the last day. The king will return and he will judge. He will separate all people on that day. And it won't matter whether you're black or white, male or female, rich or poor, popular or unpopular, respectful or unrespectful, hated or loved. The only division that will matter on that day is sheep or goat, right or left. And so the question for us this morning, as it has been for the last few weeks, is are you ready? Are you ready 
for the return of the king? Will he be found as someone who belongs to him? Someone who will share in his, in, in his eternal kingdom? Or will he hear those words, depart from me, you who are cursed, as you're shut out from his kingdom forever? We need to be ready for the return of the king. Which raises the all-important question for us this morning. How do I know? How do I know whether I'm someone who belongs to King Jesus? What is the criteria that I'll be judged on? To which Jesus says, the evidence that you belong to him, the evidence that you're a sheep and not a goat, is your love for his people. The evidence that we truly know and love the Lord Jesus is that we love and serve his people. Look at verse 34 with me. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Now, we've got to be careful as we look at these verses and be clear about what Jesus isn't saying. He's not saying, if you want to be a sheep, if you want to earn my blessing, then what you need to do is go and be really nice people. We've heard that already from the baptisms this morning, haven't we? He's not saying if, if you go and feed the, the poor and, and visit the sick, if you're really nice, then you'll earn your inheritance. Well, that's not what Jesus is saying. Firstly, because, well, because inheritance isn't something that you can earn, is it? Inheritance is a gift, something given to you. And Jesus says well, he's been preparing this gift since before the creation of the world. Uh, before you had the chance to do anything good or bad. Inheritance is a gift. Uh, and secondly, it can't be a list of good things to do to get to heaven, because that wouldn't make sense of the rest of Matthew's gospel or the rest of the Bible. Uh, in the previous two parables, we've seen that in order to be ready for judgment, uh, the only thing we must do is trust in Jesus, uh, is have faith in him. And if we were to carry on reading into the next few chapters of Matthew's Gospel, well, we would see that Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's heading to the place where he will die for guilty sinners, for people who don't love God or love other people the way that they should. Jesus is about to die precisely because we can't earn our way to heaven. And so this isn't a list of things that we must do. But it is a list of things we will do if we belong to Jesus. You see, Jesus here is describing the evidence that someone is a sheep and not a goat. Because true faith in Jesus, true love for Jesus, shows itself in active love for other people. For his people. We saw that in James last week, that faith without action is dead faith. 
Or in Galatians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul says that when it, when it comes to being a Christian, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. A true faith is seen in love. And here in Matthew 25, Jesus is specifically talking about love for other Christians. Just look at verse 40. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now back in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus has already explained that his true family, his true brothers and sisters, they're they're not his blood relatives, but those who love and follow him. They are other Christians. And so here's the big thing that Jesus is saying. The evidence that you are a sheep that you belong to him, is that you actively love his people. He says the same thing in John's Gospel, John 13, verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. It's not that we don't love those outside our church family. The Bible repeatedly tells us that we're to love all people, whoever they are. But here Jesus is saying one of the marks that someone is truly a Christian, someone who truly belongs to him, is that they actively love his people. And so what does that look like? What does this active love look like? Well, look at verse 35 again. Jesus says that active love looks like food and drink. It looks like hospitality. Uh, But not just hospitality for our nuclear family, uh, not just for our mates. Uh, No, this is hospitality for those in need, for the lonely, the vulnerable, and the outsider. This active love, it it looks like openness to the stranger. Our culture is one of uh, carefully planned social occasions and busy diaries. Uh, But here's a picture of someone who is willing to put convenience and comfort and schedules aside for a person who's in need, whether we know them or not. It looks like caring for those who are ill or in prison. In other words, making the effort to go and see someone, not just sending a quick text or, or a message on a WhatsApp group, but actually taking the time to go and visit someone, to take them a meal, to meet up with someone that you know needs encouragement. And I don't know about you, but as I read through those verses, I find those things particularly challenging at this time of year. It's so easy for us, isn't it, to go along with the culture of Christmas and and focus entirely on our nuclear families without really considering our church family. It's so easy to become busy with social occasions and people to see and things to organise that, well, we just have no time for the stranger or or the lonely or the person in need. Maybe sometime in the new year, maybe when we've got a bit more time on our hands, but not at Christmas. But Jesus says our active love for one another, whatever time of year, is the visible evidence that we belong to him. It's what marks us out as his people. And if love for one another is the evidence that we do belong to Jesus, well then, well then the opposite is also true. 
In verses 41 to 43, Jesus condemns people for their lack of love. He says you can't separate loving him and loving his people. Well, that's something that these people seem to fail to grasp. Notice their shock in verse 44. Lord, where, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? We'd understand. And so you see, it, it is all too easy to convince ourselves that we love Jesus, that we're busy serving Jesus, but at the same time not really caring about his people. But Jesus says that's impossible. It's impossible. A lack of love for other Christians is evidence that we don't truly love Jesus. John says something similar in 1 John 3. Just listen to what he writes. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Love for Jesus will show itself in active love for his people. It's the evidence that we belong to him. And so what do we do? What do we do if we're honest with ourselves this morning and we think, you know what? I'm not sure that I care all that much about other Christians. I'm not sure I love them in the way that Jesus describes here. Well, if that's you this morning, then the Bible's answer is clear. We are to come to the one who has first loved us. Those verses in, John, in 1 John again started, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. You see, none of us meet God's standard of love. None of us deserve to be called his people. But despite our lack of love, Jesus, the only truly loving person, laid down his life for us. Out of his great love, Jesus gave his life for unlovely people like you and me. So that we could be forgiven. So that we could receive the blessing of eternal life with him. And so if you're not a Christian here this morning, if this is the first time that you've really thought about uh, the last day, what, what happens at the end, well, can I urge you to come to Jesus this morning? Don't be too busy living your life to worry about God. He is coming back. He will judge. But he has given his life so that you can receive his blessing rather than his curse. So that you can receive eternal life rather than punishment. If that's something that you would like to, to think about or talk about more, then please do come and speak to me or, or to Daff or to one of the people who've been baptized this morning. We'd love to tell you more about this King Jesus. And if you are a Christian today, if you are a Christian, then Jesus' question is the same 
as it has been throughout this chapter of Matthew 25. Are you ready? Are you serving the king by loving his people? Are you following the example of the one who laid aside comfort and privilege, the things we think about at Christmas, to be born in a barn and then to die on a cross for you? Are you willing to lay down your comfort, your security, even your life for your brothers and sisters in Christ? All of us could love each other more. And so we need to ask Jesus to help us do that today. Ask him to help us be the people who stand out because of our radical, sacrificial love for one another. Let's pray and ask him to do that for us now. John writes, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you don't leave us in the dark about the future. That King Jesus will return one day. And Father, we thank you that he is the King who gave his life so that we can be forgiven, so that we can live with him forever. We ask that you would help us to trust in him this morning. And as we've heard from your word, Father, please help us to love like him today and the rest of our lives. For his name's sake we pray. Amen.